0: When I was a kid, I owned a pair of superhero shoes with a matching lunchbox and a pencil case. I remember the shoes had velcro tabs with silver holographic lining on the sides, and every time I slid them on, I believe they made me run faster, allowed me to climb higher and jump further than I could without them. I was seven, and those shoes were one of my most prized possessions. Ever since then, I've buried myself in the stories of heroes, whether they were fictional, web-slinging teenagers, or real-life personas that wrote the course of history. These extraordinary individuals that went above and beyond the normal understanding of what it meant to be human. They inspired me to undertake this new adventure, to unravel and tell the stories often neglected of those individuals who are extraordinary in the eyes of Allah azawajal, those individuals whom Allah calls His awliya, His friends. I'm your host, Mu'in Ali Sayyid, and along with the help of Muftini Niaz Hanan and Dr. Shadi al-Masri in putting together this beautiful work we present to you the Stories of the Awliya. This episode of Stories of the Awliya was brought to you by Qairawan Caravan. The Caravan brings the wonders of North Africa and Al-Andalus straight to you. Perfectly tailored Maghrebi cloaks, authentic jubbas, and shashias traditionally made by the artisans and clothing makers of Tunisia. Whether you're looking for something for yourself or a loved one, find the perfect fit at our caravan. Discover your cloak today for 10% off with code OLIA. That's code A-W-L-I-A. Y, A. All capitalized. You too can wear the famous cloak of mystics, guides, and knights from a galaxy far, far away. Discover your cloak at QayrawanCaravan.com. That's Q-A-Y-R-A-W-A-N Caravan.com. We start our journey in the land of the Maghreb, in the city of Kantiana, in the province of Seville, in Al-Andalus, or what we know today as Spain. Now I'll try my best to reference geographic locations accurately and precisely, but bear with me because sometimes referencing the old world to the new world gets a little bit difficult. but. Roughly, we're in the city of Canciana, in the province of Seville, in Al-Andalus. Like I said, today, we know it as Spain. It's around the year 508 after Hijri, which lands us in about the year 1115, in A.D. terms. In that year was born one of the most influential of figures in all of North African traditional Islam. Sheikh Abu Madian Shoaib. Ibn al-Husayn, al-Ansari, and who for brevity throughout will use the name Sheikh Abu Madian. Now, this story and future stories which I will proceed to present to you are filled with wonder, amazement, and awe. You may find some of the things that you hear unbelievable. And at first, you may throw doubt upon the tales that you hear. But I want you to do two things for me. The first is to take a moment and be still, clear your head of all stray thoughts and have proper intention as we begin. Go ahead. I'll give you a moment, ready Two. I want you to process the following thought. Now bear with me because it gets a little complicated, but process the following. There's a difference between something being impossible and something being possible which you personally have never experienced. So let me give you an example. If I were to tell you that I have the ability to draw a circle on a piece of paper which is also a triangle, you would think that it's this, this is preposterous, it's absurd, impossible. This is because a tr- a circle by definition, has no sides and all points from the edge of the circle to the center are the same length. And by virtue, a triangle also has its own definition. For example, it has only three sides. So we know that a circle cannot be a circle while simultaneously being a triangle. That would be impossible. Most of us understand this, yet we don't consciously process this type of thought on a daily basis. But we do believe it, and we base our framework for the world on these basic premises of logic. Now on the other hand, let's talk about something that is possible. Let us say that I was walking by a river near the bank, and as I was walking, I happened to be holding a needle in my hand. Suddenly, the needle slips and it falls into the river. I then say to the river, return my needle. And immediately, a thousand fish emerge, each with a golden needle in its mouth. I then say to the fish and to the river, no, no, no. I want my needle, not the golden one. Upon saying this, a small fish appears out of nowhere, holding my needle in its mouth. Now, this story might sound a little crazy and something you're not used to. However, it's not irrational, illogical, or absurd. Maybe you haven't seen this or haven't experienced it, but not only is it possible, it's true. This is a story narrated about the famous Wali Ibrahim ibn Adham Azham Now that's point number two. And the reason why I presented these first is because we sit in the year 2018 where we are inundated in schools, work, and even in our homes that this world, this material dunya, is all there is to life. If you can't tangibly see something, it must be a lie. There must be some scientific explanation to anything which does not fit the status quo of what today's science deems to be within the realm of acceptable. Musa, alayhi salam, splitting the sea, you say? Oh, it must have been a metaphor for splitting the hearts. A tree spoke to the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Oh, I don't really buy into hadith. You know, you never know what's real. I don't really believe in hadith. A wali walked on water, you say? Ha! People can't walk on water. That's impossible. As I mentioned in point number two, It's not impossible. Maybe you haven't seen it, but it's not impossible. We believe in the physicality of miracles, wonders, and karama performed by the awliya and the anbiya of Allah They are not cast off as metaphors, mistakes, or imaginary. They are as real as the voice you hear now. So where was I? Yes. Kantiana in Andalus in the year 1115. We start our tale with the birth of Sheikh Abu Madin al-Ghoth. He was orphaned very early on in his life due to the unexpected death of his father, and because of this he was raised by his elder brothers and underwent a cruel treatment and exploitation by their hands. He narrates in one of his autobiographical accounts. Quote, I was an orphan in Alandalus. My brother made me a shepherd for their flocks, but whenever I saw someone praying or reciting the Quran, it pleased me. I would not come near. I would come near to him and found a sadness in my soul, because I had not memorized anything from the Quran, and did not know how to pray. So I resolved to run away in order to learn how to read and pray. End quote. And so began a struggle in which he attempted to run away. The first time Sheikh Abu Madian, the young Sheikh Abu Madian, tried to run away, his brother caught up with him with a spear in his hand and said, By God, if you don't return, I'll kill you. And so he returned, and he remained for some time. Sometime later, and I'm not sure of the exact month, but sometime later, he got the strength and resolve once again to run away. One night he slipped away and this time, instead of taking the same road that he did the first time, he took a different one. Yet still his brother managed to catch up with him right after Fajr. His brother drew a sword against him and said, By God, I will kill you and be rid of you. The brother then raised his sword and he took a strike towards the young Sheikh Abu Madian. And the Sheikh Raised a piece of wood which he held in his hand just in time to parry the strike. As soon as the sword made contact, the sword broke and flew into pieces. And when the older brother saw what happened, he said to the young Sheikh Abu Madian, O oh my brother, go, go wherever you wish. And once the young Sheikh Abu Madian left the region, we now call Seville. He traveled south from there for about three or four days. And he reached a small hill near the sea and spotted a tent that had been pitched by there. And from the tent came out an old sheikh who had not much on except what was there necessary to cover his aura and his nakedness. And so the old sheikh, Perhaps thought that young Abu Madian, Rahmatullahi alayhi, was a younger captive who had perhaps run away from a Christian raid. He began to ask about the boy's situation, at which point the young Sheikh Abu Madian expressed his desire to learn about the fundamentals of the religion, about his Farid Ain. And so the older Sheikh allowed the boy to remain in his company for a number of days. And so it's narrated that the old sheikh took a rope tied a nail to its end and threw it in the sea and pulled it out and pulled out a fish. He then cooked the fish and so the, sheikh, the young sheikh began to eat. Young sheikh Abu Madin stayed with him for about 3 days and whenever he was hungry, hungry, the old sheikh would throw a rope along with the nail into the sea and pull out a fish. Once 3 days had passed, the sheikh said to the boy I see that you covet honor. Return to the city, for Allah is not worshipped except with knowledge. Upon heeding this advice, the young Sheikh Abu Madian, rahmatullahi alayhi, returned to Seville. And this time he traveled further to Queta, on the coast of Morocco, at the Mediterranean entrance to the Strait of Gibraltar. Now, I want to say this before I get any further. I am sure I will butcher many names, titles, and uh, words. So please forgive me as I continue through this. Um, so where was I? So while in the city of Quetta, he worked in the employment of some local fishermen at the time, but he still had this thirst of knowledge, this thirst of the religion. And so he saved up some money from working as a fisherman. He traveled on a longer journey further south into Marrakesh, which at the time was the rapidly growing capital of the Almoravid state. And as young Sheikh Abu Madian arrived into the city of Marrakesh, he was quickly recruited into military service to protect the internal security of the state. And while there, the Sheikh suffered rather, you know how do I say this? He suffered cruelty by some of the soldiers that were a little bit more experienced than him. They would generally steal his wages and leave him with very little for which to provide for his needs and what he would require on a day-to-day basis. And after putting up with a lot of this for a long time, someone said to him, if you want to devote yourself to religion, go to the city of Fez. For those unfamiliar, Fez is north of Marrakesh, about 280-so miles. And so the Sheikh set off once again and turned himself towards Fez. And he walked further down, traveled. He found himself attached to the Jamia al-Qarawiyyin, which still stands today as one of the oldest universities of all time. It's at the Qarawiyyin where the Sheikh learned to make wudu and salah as he began to, sit, began to sit in the study circles of the fuqaha and the muhadithun. And he mentions that although he studied there, he didn't retain anything of the words that he studied until he sat at the feet of his Sheikh, whose words were firmly retained within his heart. He narrates, quote, I asked whom he was, and was told, Abu'l Hassan ibn Hizim. I went to the Sheikh and told him that I could memorize only what I had learned from him alone, and he said to me, "These others speak with parts of their tongues, but their words are worth, are not worth even to call the prayer. Since I seek only Allah with my words, they come from the heart, and enter the heart." End quote. Sheikh Abu Madian rahmatullahi alayhi, attached himself to the Sheikh for a number of years, and at that time he was required to memorize a number of texts by al-Muhasibi, Imam al-Ghazali, uh, Imam al-Tirmidhi, and, and study a number of other additional texts. And in the future, Sheikh Abu Madian would also make those same texts obligatory for his students. Imam al Ghazali was one of the main texts that Sheikh Abu Madian read. And Sheikh Abu Madian also attended the study circles of al Hassal al Qurashi to learn hadith. In order to learn and memorize some of these texts at the time he was a student, Sheikh Abu Madian was known to retreat into long periods of seclusion. Quote While staying in Fez, I used to take a verse of the Quran and a hadith, and go to an empty place on the edge of the cultivated land. When I had finally understood and memorized the verse in the hadith, I would return to Fez, learn another verse and hadith, and do the same with them. The place on Jabal Imrana where I secluded myself was ruined, and out of all its building only the Maqsura which is a protective screen placed before the mahrab, remained. While I sat there in thought and contemplation, a gazelle would come up to me. I do not know whether it used to come to the people who had lived in that place, and when they left, continued to visit it, or whether it came to me in particular. When I went to that place, it would come to me, sniff me from my head to my toes and then lie down in front of me one thursday i went to fez and stayed there that night i met a man whom i had known from al Andalus, and asked abu abdullah ibn abi hajj about some cloth that he was holding for me what do you want to do with it he asked i wish to sell it and give its price to that man as his welcome i replied Take ten dirhams, he said, and give it to him. I took the money and looked for the man, but could not find him. So I placed it in my purse, put it on my apron, put it put it in my apron, and went to the hill. On my way there I would pass by a village full of dogs, who would come to me wagging their tails and surround me. But this time when I neared the village, the dogs attacked me and barked at me. And I could not escape until the people of the village placed themselves between the dogs and me. When I arrived at my place on the hill, the gazelle came to me, sniffed me, and then pushed me away. And the, it then looked at me with a hateful glance and butted me a second and third time with its horns, such that I had to grab them with my hands. I pondered this and the hatred of the village dogs for me, and knew that it was because of the didhums I had put into the purse so I ripped it out of my garment and threw it to the side. The gazelle looked at me and laid down in front of me as was its custom. I slept in that place, and in the morning I took the purse to Fez, found the man I had hoped to welcome, gave it to him and returned to the hill as I used to do. I passed through the village on my way and the dogs wagged their tails as they used to and did not bark at me. I then returned to my place on the hill. The gazelle came and sniffed at my cape from my head to my feet and then lay down in front of me as it had done before. End quote. Now Sheikh Abu Madian was very well known for his balance between the legalities of the Sharia and the ways of Tasawwuf for spirituality. His study under Ali ibn Hirzihim and Abul Hassan ibn Ghalib in Fez allowed the sheikh to deeply study the ihya of Imam al-Ghazali and the Sunan of Imam al-Tirmidhi, along with other base texts. I won't go into an extensive summary of some of the sheikh's study, however, we do know that the sheikh was well, very well-versed in the school of Maliki Fiqh, and he was very strict upon the sunnah. No goofy Sufi stuff if you listen to the other podcast. While studying in Fez, the sheikh had heard some very beautiful, and moving accounts of a Berber sheikh and a master of the spiritual sciences. His name was Abu Ya'za Yelanur. He had a zawiya in the Atlas Mountains. And so the sheikh set off for the zawiyah, and he narrates the following incident that took place there. Quote, When we arrived at Jabal Irugan and entered Abu Ya'za's presence, he greeted all of the group except me, and when food was brought, he forbade me from eating it. So I sat in the corner of his house. Whenever food was brought and I got up to eat it, he rebuked me. I remained thus for three days until I was tortured by hunger and humbled. After I had completed three days, Abu Yazza rose from his place. I went there, to the place he was sitting, and rubbed my face in the spot where he had been sitting. When I raised my head, I found that I could not see anything, and I had become blind. So I remained weeping all night. In the morning, Sheikh Abu Yaza called for me, saying, Come near, O Andalusian. So I approached him. He wiped his hands over my eyes, and my sight returned. Then he rubbed his hands on my chest and said to those who were present, This one will have great fame or words to that effect. Next he gave me permission to depart and said to me, You will meet a lion on your way, but it will not harm you. If fear of it overcomes you, then say to it, By the sanctity of Yalanur, depart from me. Next you will encounter three thieves near a tree. You will admonish them to change their ways and two of them will repent at your hands, but the third will return to be killed and crucified on that tree. I promised to do so as he said and left. Soon a lion came upon me in the road. I swore at him by Abu Yazza that he should leave the road. He continued to follow me until I had left the forest, and then he turned away from me. Next, I came upon three thieves who were sitting at the base of a tree. They came upon me to rob me and I admonished them. The warning affected the hearts of two of them who left, but the third remained lying in wait at the base of the tree. The governor heard about him and sent someone to chop off his head and crucify him on that very tree. Quote. It is narrated from several accounts from biographers that the sheikh had set off and left from the zawiya of Sheikh Abu Yaza to go for Hajj. And it was during this trip where the sheikh studied from the most knowledgeable scholars and learned from the living awliya at the time. It was at Arafa where he met Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jailani rahmatullahi alayhi, under whom he studied many a hadith at the haram and who bestowed the mantle of spirituality and tasawwuf, also known as the qirqa as sufiya. It's very similar to a cloak. And you'll be hearing a, a small commercial about that soon. It's stated that Sheikh Abdul Qadir al at this time imparted many of the secrets of Tasawwuf to him. And he adorned him with the keys to spiritual illumination. And Sheikh Abu Madian, it's narrated he cherished this time with Sheikh Abdul Qadir al alay very much and considered him the greatest and most excellent of his shuyukh. Upon completing his studies in Fez and finishing the Hajj, the sheikh finally moved to Bijaya, a city of about 100,000, that was located on the Algerian coast. Now, I'll try to help a little bit with the geography so that the listeners can get a clear understanding of the travel and the journey involved from moving to place to place. However, it'll help if you pull up a map. Now, we started off in Al-Andalus in Spain, and right below Spain sits Morocco. Next to Morocco sits Algeria, and Bijaya is located on the top of Algeria along the coast. And between Algeria and the Haram sits Tunis, Libya, and Egypt. So now, some biographies state that Sheikh Abu Madian went directly from Sheikh Abu Ya'za to Bijaya, However, there are many that do state that he first went to Hajj and that after the Hajj he went to Bijaya. And it was at the Hajj where he met Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jailani rahmatullahi Whatever way you go, it's a lot of traveling. And doing that on foot only in search of sacred knowledge is unfathomable and almost unheard of today. While in Bijaya, the Sheikh spent a great amount of time in study and teaching. And this is where his fame and greatness reached such a rank that he was called by the title the Sheikh of Sheikhs by his students and followers. Students and followers of his would come from all throughout the Maghrib, and the Sheikh would concentrate his efforts on the tarbiyah of his students and would supervise their spiritual growth as well as personal development. He was known to give very brief and to-the-point instructions, or wisdoms, hikam, that would lift up the hearts of his followers and put them upon correct understanding. Now, if any listeners are familiar with the famous ahkam of Ibn al taila al iskandari think of the wisdoms of Shaykh Abu Madian as a sort of, I would say, forerunner to the types of wisdoms which were written down in Ibn al famous hikam. Shaykh Abu Madian was known to live a very ascetic, strict, And simple personal life. And he was situated in a very unique location, both in time and political climate, and obviously geographic location, which allowed him to bring together many of the traditions of Tasawwuf and balance the cultural environment of the tradition with firm stances on legalistic approaches to spirituality. This similar approach of the balance of Sharia and Tariqah would later inspire many Oliya, whom we will cover in subsequent episodes. But the most famous of whom he influenced was Sheikh Ibn Arabi, who was known to have studied with many of the disciples and companions of Sheikh Abu Madian. Now, Sheikh Abu Madian saw the ego or the nafs as one of the main obstacles between a person and self-awareness. Because the nafs thrives on desire, the greatest way to fight it is through hunger he said and for this reason his tradition included a lot of fasting in addition to the month of ramadan these including fasting during the months of rajab and Sha'aban, the fast of daud which was every other day and an additional fast of 3 days per month which was known as which was sort of done as per a, a murid's discretion right a seeker's discretion one of the most distinctive parts of his path was Soma al Wasil, which was known as the fast of intimate union. Now, it was done in the following manner. First, you know, a person would first repent all their sins and take a a bath. They would then pray turaqah, and after which they would go into pure seclusion for 40 days, and they would abstain from all food. In the day and in the night, for 40 days, pure hunger. And they would survive only on water and the repetition and the dhikr of la ilaha illallah. And the only time a person could actually leave and retreat to go outside was two reasons. Either you went to the bathroom or you had to attend Jumu'ah. Now, if you didn't have to attend Jumu'ah or go to the restroom, you were inside and the only time you could sleep was if you were forced by pure exhaustion to do so now at first i thought myself you know this is you know i've never heard something like this and so i actually went on youtube myself and believe it or not there are individuals even today who do these 40 year 40 day fasts not 40 year 40 day fast and it's absolutely doable But not only did they focus on the spiritual path, right? It wasn't just a fast just for a diet or a vegan thing to cleanse your, you know, um, to cleanse your system. It was really to fight the nafs and control the ego and the ways of Sheikh Abu Madian, even though this, might suggest otherwise the ways of Sheikh Abu Madian were not really of a withdrawn Sufi in the middle of the woods lost in the contemplation of Allah Zawajal, <laughs> while ignoring everything else that was going on in the society and in the community. Sheikh Abu Madian's path was a very, very full participation in the social life. And he was very well, and he used deception discipline, detachment, and constant vigilance over himself and his companions and students did the same, had constant vigilance over themselves and others so that they may be upon the truth. Now the Sheikh Abu Madian, he says the following, the true Sufi must be neither jealous, egotistical, nor arrogant with his knowledge, nor miserly with his money, end quote. Now, it was during this period of his life in which he became known all throughout the Maghrib and many, many stories of experiences exist at this time. Now, unfortunately, finding the exact dates of these stories is difficult to pin down, given the source material. As we'll find in other episodes as well, the trying to pin down actual factual stories from hyperbole and exaggeration is also tricky in itself. So we have gone through, uh, along with the help of uh, Muftini Yaz and one tried to reference all of these things, and also tried to make sure that we pinpoint accurate stories. But I'd like to narrate to you some incredible experiences and miracles of Sheikh Abu Maddin. Now, for these stories, they're from Imam Yusuf Nabahani's Jamia Karamatul Awliya. And we've tried our best to take from the source material in the exact manner it was written, but in some places in the story, I will be paraphrasing so that you can understand a little bit easier going from the Arabic to English. And the first story is about an experience that occurred between Sheikh Abu Madin rahmatullahi alayhi, and Sheikh Abdul Qadr al Jailani. One day, Sheikh Abu Madin was sitting amongst his companions in the Maghrib, and all of a sudden, he bowed his head straight down and he said, wa ana minhum. I am from amongst them. O oh Allah, I make you and your angels a witness that I listen and I obey. Shaykh Abu Madian was asked regarding this statement. That all of a sudden, you know, we saw that you're bowing your head and you said this statement and you made a testification. What What was that? He says that at this very moment in time in Baghdad, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al stated that my foot is upon the neck of every single wali of Allah. And I bowed my head and stated, I am from amongst them. O Allah, I make you and your angels a witness that I listen and I obey. Subhanallah. To think that a voice from Baghdad could reach the Maghrib. Subhanallah. Once, Sheikh Abu Madian, he stayed in his house for a whole year and he hadn't come out of his house except for the Jumu'ah prayer. And after a year, the people in the surrounding neighborhood, they came to his house and they stood outside his door. And they began to ask Sheikh Abu Madian and request him to talk to them, give them a lesson that he come out and teach them so that they could have the honor of being his students. And so he came out and the birds and the sparrows and the birds around, they decided to fly off when he came out. He said to the people, if I had the capability and the ability to speak to you, these birds wouldn't run away from me. Rather, these birds would stay and they would listen as well. So now he went back inside and for another whole year, he didn't come out except for Jumois. And then once again the people came to him and asked him something similar that he come out and he teach them and this time he came out and the birds in the tree and the wild animals around not a single one of those animals moved and they all waited for sheikh abu madian then the sheikh he started to speak towards the people and all of a sudden when he started speaking the birds started flapping their wings and they started to beat themselves and hit themselves against the ground. Every single bird, after the speaking of the sheikh, every single bird that was in that flock and every single wild animal, it's narrated that every single animal in that vicinity died and passed away at that time. And after hearing the words of the sheikh, one man who was in the gathering also passed away. SubhanAllah. His words, they say, carried so much weight and effect that it left even the birds unable to handle. Now, why that happened, listen to the other podcast where Dr. Shadi will explain some of these details. Once, Sheikh Abu Madian was walking and he walked past a donkey who was lying on the ground and a lion was on top of it. The lion had eaten about half the donkey And the owner of said donkey was standing a little farther away. Obviously, there was a lion. And he was watching the lion eat and devour his donkey. And so, Sheikh Abu Madian took the owner of said donkey and walked him straight to the lion, which was eating the man's donkey. Sheikh Abu Madian stated to the lion, Stop. Stop this, what you're doing. And then he stated, to sahib al-himar the man with the donkey you can use this lion in place of your donkey until it dies this man he went and he mounted the lion and he started to use the lion in such a way that he used to use his donkey and every job the donkey used to do this man then made the lion do he did this for two whole years until the lion itself died Subhanallah. May Allah allow us, you know, to be blessed by the remembrance of the awliya and allow us to be united with them in the next life and be graced with their company. Amin. Once the sheikh was walking by the banks of a river. And what happened was that certain people had taken both him and others with him as prisoners. And they put him on a ship, and when these people decided to make the ship move, it wouldn't move. And there was strong winds that day, but the ship just wouldn't move from where it was. And what happened was that someone from afar said, it's him, pointing to the sheikh, it's him who's not letting the ship move. And so they came to Sheikh Abu Madian and said, we want you to get off because the ship's not moving because of you. He said, I'm not getting off until you let everybody whom you have held as prisoners get off the ship. That's the only time I'm coming off. They understood that they were not going to be able to make the Sheik move, at least not without considerable difficulty. And so they tried to make it sail, but it still wouldn't move. And so they then decided to take the prisoners off the ship, including Sheikh of Madian. And then they tried again, and it still wouldn't move. It seemed that they had forgotten that there were still some prisoners on the boat. And as soon as the last prisoner came off the ship, the ship started to sail. Now... I'll leave you with one final story before we close which really pushes the limits of what we in the modern world can even fathom and comprehend. Once, one of the students of Sheikh Abu Madian, Abdul Khalik al tunisi he stated that he heard about a man who was known as Musa At-Tayyar. And this literally translates as Musa the plane or Musa the one who can fly. And he would fly in the air. That's what he was known to do well. And he was also known to walk on water. Now, this student, Abdul Khalik al Tunisi of Sheikh Abou he was a student, he states that this man would come to him at the start of Fajr. And he would ask him questions regarding certain matters. And he couldn't understand what those questions were and what those matters were. He just couldn't get his mind around them. They were a little bit complicated. And so one night, the student states that it came into his heart that this person that was coming at the start of Fajr, it must have been Musa At-Tayyar. He had a sort of um, revelation within himself, Ilham, that you know this, this must be Musa At-Tayyar. And then one night, this student Abdul Khaliq al tunisi he waited until Fajr waiting for this man Musa At-Tayyar and so he states one night I waited and waited all night for Musa At-Tayyar and Fajr came close and a man knocked at the door all of a sudden it was him and he started asking me questions and he said and I said to him are you Musa At-Tayyar? he said yes Yes, I am. Then he asked me a few questions. And then he turned away and went back out. He came back with another man. Then Musa at asked a question. He said, We prayed the Fajr prayer in Baghdad. And when we came to Makkah al-Mukarrama, we also found them in Fajr prayer. So we repeated our Fajr Salah, which we had already prayed in Baghdad. And we stayed in Makkah al-Mukarrama in the Haram until we prayed Dhuhr, and then we went to Bayt al-Maqdis and we found them praying Dhuhr. My friend here, he is say he is stating that we should also repeat Dhuhr here in Bayt al-Maqdis. <clears throat> And I, Musa At-Tayyar, said to him, We shouldn't repeat our prayer here. Then he said to me, Then why did we repeat our prayer in Mecca al-Mukarrama if we prayed in Baghdad the Fajr prayer already? He stated in answer to him, That is how our Shaykh used to do this, and we came into an iqtalaaf, a disagreement. Now we've come to you, the student of Sheikh Abu Madian to give us a clear answer and so this student then took them to Sheikh Abu Madian and Sheikh Abu Madian said the following as for repeating the morning prayer in Makkah al-Mukarrama there was ayn al-yaqeen meaning the Kaaba was in front of you seeing is believing but when you were in Baghdad you had ilm al-yaqeen Meaning that you knew that you have to pray in that direction. Sheikh Abu Madian stated that seeing is better than knowing. He said seeing is better than believing. Ain al-Yaqeen is better than ilm al-Yaqeen. As for your Dhohar prayer, you went from Ayn al-Yaqeen to Ilm al-Yaqeen. You prayed your prayer with ain al-Yaqeen in Makkah al-Mukarramah and moved into a lower state. When you went to Baghdad, thus you wouldn't repeat your prayer. Now, this is an example of the way that Sheikh Abu Madian was able to balance the path of both the inward and the path of the outward very delicately. And he combined in this scenario, a deep understanding of the spiritual with a legalistic mind. And Sheikh Abu Madian was also known very publicly to speak out against injustice and breaches of integrity. And this unfortunately caused him to make enemies with very powerful members of the Bijayan religious elite, whom the Sheikh spoke out against about hypocrisy and corruption. Eventually, he was summoned by the Al Muha'a. Al-Muravid Caliphate in Marrakesh and on his journey there in the year 594 Hijri around 1198 AD the sheikh was around 85 years of age and he fell due to illness and old age and passed away not far from the city of Lemsen I'm butchering the name of that city but Lemsen It's narrated that his words, his last words, were Allah al-Haq. Now, according to Yahya bin Khaldun, he says that Shaykh Abu Madian's teachings may all be summed up in this verse, which is often repeated. Say Allah and abandon all that is matter or is connected with it if you desire to attain the goal of truth. Sheikh Abu Madian was buried at Al-Ubad, which is a graveyard above the city which still stands and is a place regularly visited by many even to this day. Sheikh Abu Madian's teachings would go on to profoundly influence both the Qadri and the Shahdiri Turuk, and many other awliya after him. When it comes to the beauty of speaking of his words and stories, we know of an incident that occurred which is narrated in Ibn Arabi's text, Ruh al-Quds. Ibn Arabi writes about his own master, Sheikh Abu Yaqub bin Yakhlaf, who was a companion of the Sheikh, of the great Sheikh Abu Madian. Quote, One day, the master Abu Yaqub bin Yakhlaf al-Kumi al-Abbasi, who had been a companion of Sheikh Abu Madian, mounted his horse and bade me and one of my companions follow him to Muntabar, a mountain that was about an hour's ride from Seville as soon as the city gate was opened my companion and i set out on foot my companion carried in his hand a copy of al epistle of which i which has i have said i knew nothing we climbed the mountain at the top we found our master who with a servant had gone ahead of us he th- tethered his horse and we entered a mosque at the top of the mountain in order to pray. After the prayer we sat with our backs towards the prayer niche, the mihrab. The master handed me Kushadi's epistle and told me to read from it. I was unable to, however utter a single word. My awe of him was so great that the book even fell from my hands. Then he told my companion to read it, and he expounded on what was read until it was time for the afternoon prayer which we said. Then the master said, Let us now return to town. He mounted his horse, and I ran alongside him, holding on to his stirrup. Along the way he talked to me of the virtues and the miracles of Sheikh Abu Madian. I was all ears and forgot myself entirely keeping my eyes fixed on his face the whole time suddenly he looked at me and smiled and spurring his horse made me run even more quickly in order to keep up with him i succeeded in doing so finally he stopped and said to me look and see what you have left behind you i looked back and saw that the way along which we had come was full of thorn bushes that reached as high as my tunic and that the ground was also covered with thorns. He said, Look at your feet. I looked at them and saw on them no trace of the thorns. Look at your garments. On them too I found no trace. Then he said, That comes from the grace engendered by our talking about Shaykh Abu Madian, Rahmatullahi alayh. So persevere, my son, on the spiritual path. Thereupon he spurred his horse and left me behind. End quote. So let us all now persevere in the spiritual path. May Allah send his peace and blessings upon Sheikh Abu Madian rahmatullahi alayhi, and allow us to drink from his knowledge and his teachings. Until next time, Assalamu salamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika Ashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta أستغفرك وأتوب إليك